Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 414. 414, of course, is the uh, legendary AKG microphone. We might talk a little bit about that for later because I did bother to do some research on the number of the show. Uh, we're streaming live today, Wednesday the 5th of August, uh, and uh, you could watch us recorded on YouTube and via iTunes and all the places where you get MP3s. Uh, if you want to watch the video version, it'll be on YouTube. If you want to see, listen to the audio, it's on iTunes. And don't forget subscribe. Subscribe A to the feed and B to YouTube because uh, we've got a lot of content going up as well. Uh, I posted the part two of the Roland JDXA. We've also got some Boomstar uh, Eurorack modules to go up. Uh, and I think we've got a review of the Cakewalk Rapture Pro synth. Plus, uh, I've got this coming up, uh, which I've got to review before I go on holiday, which is the... Uh, Artoria Beatstep Pro. Uh, but that's enough. I want to say thank you very much to everybody for joining us. Thank you uh, in the chat room, uh, which is, again, a fulsome chat room. I'm very pleased to see. Nice to have everybody there. In fact, they're improvising the old theme tune over the new credit sequence. How sweet is that? That's that's amazing. Anyway, thank you for joining us. As I, I think I said that already. And also want to say thanks to our sponsor, Isotope. Uh, Isotope, of course, will be giving away, as is their want, usually uh, about halfway through the show. Uh, we've got a competition... Uh, Results from last week where we gave away a copy of Trash. Well, I say we, I mean they gave away a copy of Trash 2. And you can also enter again for another chance to win a copy of Trash 2. Thank you very much. Right, let's start. Uh, well, I'll start um, with Dave Spears because we haven't had Dave in for a little while. Dave Spears from GeForce Software. He is uh, joining us from his synth cave uh, out there in uh, GeForce HQ, where I'm sure he's masterminding all sorts of uh, fabulous GeForce products. Am I right, Dave? Might be. Might be. <laughs> we know Dave is very cagey about any sort of release schedule or any kind of such matter, so I know I won't get any information anyway. How are you, Dave? Good? I'm all right. Yeah. Wasn't I on it last week? Or was I not? I can't remember. I can't remember either. It all blurred. After yeah. about 200, I can't remember anything. In fact, yeah. we've probably covered all these topics before, you know, a matter of weeks ago. But I, So I, I, ho I hope not, because I'm kind of getting snow blind there. Uh, we also have um, Mr. Corey Banks from B-Board Tech Report, who joined us again. He's obviously on holiday. We haven't had him for ages. And then two come along at once. It's fantastic. Good to have a bit of Corey continuity. How are you, Corey? All right, man. Doing good. Great to be here. And Dave, you were on last week. Oh, thank you, oh, thank Corey. You. <laughs> see, Cor see, Corey hasn't been on the show as much, so therefore yeah, he, he he can remember these things. <laughs> yeah, I can remember a little better since I get two in a row and then it'll be a long skip. So, yeah, I remember everybody was there last week. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Corey, as well. And also, uh, we have a new guest this week uh, in the form of Mr. Ty Unwin. You will see there, he's. Uh, I think he might have out-synth-caved Dave, actually. Corey, uh, sorry, Ty is a, uh, I guess, a TV a music composer from your credits anyway. I'm sure you've done much yeah. more than that. Yeah, um, but essentially it's mainly TV. Yeah. Right, okay. And you've got a, a nice room full of, uh, I'm guessing, a lot of electronic sources there because uh, is that the sort of thing that you're known for? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I essentially, I mean, the main thing that I'm actually known for is kind of big um, drama docs and kind of big orchestral stuff with kind of electronica in the background and um so which is fine and a lot of that is in the box but i'm also a bit of a not collector but a bit of a enthusiast again i can see some lovely I stuff there. personality i can see so is that over your shoulder there is that actually a system 55 
It is. Wow. Yes. Cool. Yeah, it's one of the new ones that have just um, just appeared. Excellent. Yeah. Have you had a chance to play with it much? Uh, not that much, to be fair, because of deadlines. I mean, that's a problem of any TV composer. It's normally deadlines. But um, I've had a I've had a, a good play with it, and I'm kind of learning 1970s technology and terminology. That's the main thing. I mean, I'm I'm sitting there with S triggers, you know, kind of proper. Yeah. These cables that I'm sure you're not going to be able to go to Maplins and buy them. So um, they give you a big bag full of S-triggers and um, trying to <laughs> where does this go and what does this do? And and the manual get you get with it, you get a reprint of the original manual, this hardback, and uh, it's it's just an it's another world. I mean, I've done synths for years, but it's completely for Dave. I'm sure this is second nature, but for me, I'm kind of learning. Yeah. I'm learning. And I, I when it think, comes to modular. I think also we uh, I, I know about you because Robert you're a mate of Robbie Bronnemans who's a regular yes. guest on the show and he said that yeah. you also uh, were the proud uh, recipient of a Schmidt as well which is that is really quite exciting. Yeah, I mean the hang on. Lordy, that's nice. That's a yeah. big boy. It wow. is a very big boy. And uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's um i can't explain just how fantastic it is to be honest with you do you find you get a lot of use out of it then because i mean the thing with something like that is it, it, it's just very difficult to kind of imagine how you could find space for it sonically uh, yeah i think it's a it's a it's a different kind of beast to be fair it's just it's just it's just different and um uh i in terms of using it in earnest i mean i've only had it now for two and a half weeks, three weeks. Ah, like okay. That. And um, it's just, it's it's an instrument in itself. I mean, it's, it is absolutely fantastic. The versatility of it is um, immense. Yeah, immense. well, when, when we did a, uh, we did that uh, walkthrough with, uh, I've forgotten the name of the chap now, that's terrible, uh, at Mesa, and he, we went through the sort of, the, 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 the oscillators and, that, and the fact that the different oscillators, that I think they're, they're four or three, I forget which. There are, there are four oscillators. Uh, one and three are very similar. Um, two is a kind of subset which is made to integrate with the rest of them. Four is essentially kind of whatever you want it to be, but it's essentially six ring modulators that you can assign to anything, to any other oscillator. And, um, and that's before you get to the filters of which there's five yeah. filters and you know it's it's ridiculous it, I, I was saying before it's essentially like a uh, it's like a modular it's like a polyphonic modular it's um it's fantastic and wow. so versatile i mean just in terms of versatility it's one minute it can sound like a jupiter 8 the next minute it's um <laughs> honestly it sounds like a dx7 the next minute and then the next <coughs> minute it sounds like a, a vs and uh you know it's it's an amazing really machine. versatile yeah, yeah. Oh, really very lucky yeah very lucky so have you managed to get that on any soundtracks yet I'm, I, do you Not have a yet. moment where you go oh there must be a moment when you're going to go I've got, I'm determined I don't care it's going to get there somehow do you know the problem actually is is that you kind of want you kind of you know you get your schedule in as to what you're doing when and you sit there shape, shaping you know what instruments you need to use and what soundtracks and I've sat there for the, since I've had it, and since I've had the 55, just sitting there going, come on, I must be able to squeeze this into some kind of period drama, and it's not <laughs> going to work. So, but, yeah, and I'm just quite expecting to send some tracks down, and the director get back to me saying, yeah, we really like 
like it, but... Um, What's that those, synthetic those side? Opt- yeah, all those octave synth bass lines. We're not sure if they're appropriate for 1742 Vikings. And so... Um, I was yeah, I, I was just looking at your uh, uh, very impressive uh, uh, and probably not even um, f- full uh, oh, discography on IMDb, and it's yeah. is it? Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of historical stuff. Uh, uh, Romans seem to be a speciality. Certainly, looking oh. at the top, is that? I Roman, mean, do, <laughs> Vikings, space, those three yeah. big dramatic themes, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's. And, um, uh, what's that? Sorry touchscreen type thing in the corner by you uh, that is that a uh slate yeah yeah that's that's the raven that's the mti raven yeah ah and how'd you get on with that because i mean people have been sort of split about the way that they feel about that yeah it's difficult for me because i i i run nuendo and so my main thing is i've got a i've got the euphonics mc pro there so that's my main interface so yeah. i'm kind of you know that i'm really big on and the the plan was to get one of the big ravens, but they still haven't um, implemented the new endo software for it yet. So essentially, I bought it now eighteen months ago with the promise that new endo and Cubase was going to be, you know, in a, a couple of months' time, and I still haven't um, they still haven't done it yet. So at the moment, it's it's, it's great, but it's just literally a one touch touch screen, which right. is great for the mixing panel on new endo. But yeah, I can imagine. Terms, I can't make any real comment about the integration with Nuendo yet because they haven't done it. Ah, well, hopefully that will come soon. I'd just like yeah. to point out that my my synth is that keyboard you can just see there in the corner. That's a Jupiter 6. That's the best I can do for now. But there, there are <laughs> others. But it's perhaps too far away. I need to bring it forward in there. Corey, I, I'm looking... I, I'm looking... Frankly, I can't see a single synthesizer in your background. What are you thinking, man? <clears throat> Oh, um, maybe I need to turn it ah, that way. Ah, there he goes. Hey. Is that a Fender Road? <laughs> yeah, it's a Fender. Yeah. Ah, beautiful. So I have beautiful. A, a couple of, um, well, I have Fender. I actually got rid of my Prophet 8, and um, I got the one of the classic samplers, a couple classic samplers over here, too, if you may be able to see the ASR over one shoulder that's yes. not currently hooked up. And MPC sixty two over the other shoulder there. Yay! Ah, well, any self-respecting yeah. hip hop beat maker must have an MPC. In the same That's way right. that I've got a, I've got, I've got an MS twenty line around, which I don't fire up very often. You know, you've got to have something, something for the roots. Do you find you use it much, or are you sick of feeding floppies in it, or have you had it uh, SD modified? <clears throat> I've had it SD modified. I actually uh, did that a little while back. That's one of the first things I did. Um, and I got it for a great deal. I upgraded the pads on it. Some some MPC purists probably would never upgrade to like the thick fat pads on it, but I, I find them a little more comfortable. And um, every now and then, what I'll do is I'll sample if I'm sampling uh, drums from records. I'll sample into the MPC sixty, and then I'll use that in the computer or wherever else. Uh, uh, it depends. I kind of use it just for, a, I guess, a sound design tool, more or less, to just to put that MPC sixty dirt on it, right. <laughs> whatever I'm using it with. Okay, got you. So, and do you transfer the files over SD, or have you got another clever way of getting them out of the MPC via some other method? Yeah, I just I just put them on the um, on the SD and, and bring them over. Yeah, and and then sometimes what I'll do is once I sample things in there, I'll just resample it back into the MPC RIN, into the MPC software. So <clears throat> then I'm in the environment where everything converges, 
and you know you you, you kind of i guess it's just kind of on the fly sound design at that point so let's do it a couple different ways yeah nice well um so dave got any new synths <laughs> while we're on the subject <laughs> uh, i've just worked my way through a box of tissues <laughs> I saw. <laughs> I'm surprised that you haven't got any MPC stuff actually, just because your uh, you know your roots are in um, playing drums, and that that's sort of one of the classic rhythm making things. I mean, you have got an 808, so yeah, uh, no, I should. In fact, it's weird because back in the day, you know, all, all, a lot of my stuff was kind of done on the 950, and I'd quite like to get. In fact, I found a ton of floppies the other day, and it was like, ah, yeah, that had a load of weird stuff on it. I was really tempted just to see if uh, I could nab one for a half-decent price. But they are starting to go up. It's that 12-bit, that grungy stuff is getting hip again. Well, I guess it always has been in the NPC world. Certainly the EBAC stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, actually, I'll tell you what I fired up the other day. I fired up the Juno 106, which I've had um, in sort of semi-storage for a little while. Just to kind of, because I wanted to see how broken it was. And I do remember there was something from Roland here. He said, oh, I'm sure our boys could sort it out for you. And I thought, hmm, maybe I'll get that sorted. Because, uh, but I, 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 the thing was, is what I remember for, as it, when it was when I was using it a lot in remixes, it, it, it didn't really kind of float my boat so much. I mean, it had some really beautiful things. But then I fired it up the other day. I've just been reviewing the JDXI. So I've been in that world for a long time, which, you know, doesn't sound bad by any stretch. But you plug the 106 in and just go done and it's like oh my god that's amazing and it, what's really interesting about that is it, it's like i've kind of become uh, um desensitized to the nature of some of the sounds of those classic synths because i don't i'm not using them every day and even though you know the interface i remember but that you could really hear there's there's uh, and i use this sound uh, this word a lot in charisma in the sound you just go bloody hell that's really got something special and also i, I recorded some audio in it yesterday because it was so broken it was just making some really outrageously distorted and broken sounds so might be able to use some of that but i would like to uh, get that fired up again because it sounds fantastic you just throw a bunch mm. of chords on it and you just think oh that's really lovely anyway i think we had a show to do and there were probably topics um uh, but uh, we've got a bit sidetracked here uh, i'll tell you what um i did see i mean i did say that it was uh, 414 week um and uh, i found this uh, article on trust me i'm a scientist which is about the history of the uh, the 414 range and i didn't realize that it had its roots in the uh, c12 uh, that's actually no bigger that image is it so i may as well go back here had its it started out as the c12 now the c12 i think in terms of the capsule size possibly uh, more than anything and the c12 and the c12a are, are two of my mo- my favorite sounding microphones and i know a lot of people talk about the new the neumann u47s and u67s but the c12 it really does sound absolutely awesome to me and there's there's definitely something kind of uh, very special about the presence and the sound of it in fact there was uh, we reviewed a universal audio uh plug-in i can't remember what it was now it was like this the mics of um uh, the Universal Audio Studios uh, and and the C12, the stuff that was sampled with the C12 uh, Ocean Way, Way, Ocean Way, Ocean and Way. it's sound and, and and I remember that and I, I was just putting a, a voice through it and it every time the C12 was the one that I went for. I don't know. I, I, I'm guessing, Ty, you're probably going to tell me you got a C12. I know a couple of people have that. They're not no, as rare as 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 I initially thought, but no, I haven't to be honest with you. When it comes to microphones, you know, I used to do a lot of recording and I used to have quite a nice collection and then. I just do less and less now. So, I mean, I ended up just getting a, a blue bottle and bought all the capsules for that simply because it was kind of a, you know, all the capsules sound different. And I'm not I'm not really precious when it comes to microphones, to be fair. I'm kind of very much, uh, 
you know, I've used very cheap microphones that have worked really well, and I've used really expensive microphones that haven't worked well at all. So yeah. I'm just kind of, I'm not, you know, I'm not kind of precious about them. But um, it's just if it works and the atmosphere is right, and the, you know, that's good enough for me. As long as it's not noisy, that's that's fine by me. Yeah, no, that's so, true. That's definitely um, true. But no, I don't, I don't have a twelve to be fair. Well, I was just looking on eBay. Um, and I just thought, I wonder how much they go for. And we're talking like a couple of thousand quid, basically, for us, or two, nearly two thousand two hundred. I know, Corey, is there any um, any life? Uh, uh, well, do you do you find that they're in, certainly in R and B and that side? Is there a kind of golden? Uh, what am I looking for? Um, a go- golden uh, standard, yeah, for that. And does I it? I think a lot it, of people like to use uh, Norman mics. Um, I don't know exactly. I can't think of exactly the the exact mic, but I've never had one because they've always been a little too expensive. Like I said, I, there's a certain thing that happens with me, and I've often recorded vocals um, a lot less in the last year or so, uh, just with the the load of things that I have to do. But I can tell you, once I read a, reach a certain threshold and the amount of money that I'm going to spend, then my mind switches to. But you could get a cent. <laughs> 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 Good man. <laughs> yeah, so that's not, exactly. not much. I, I, I noticed there's a, a few out there that people use, um, um, but I can't think of the names of them though. <laughs> so, uh, what about you, Dave? In terms of, uh, I mean, because I know we've talked about marks before. I know you're kind of you've spoken uh, about the, the sort of classic Neumann sound, the U67 and U47s. Have you heard the C12? I mean, they sound great on pretty much vo- voices. They sound awesome on, but also drum overheads as well. It's funny. I, yeah, I wish I knew more about mics. It was a kind of, I remember in the old days, you know, when they, when we'd go into like 2000 quid a day studios, there was always that gopher running around and the director of proceedings or whatever he wanted to call himself. Producer would be going, Oh, James, go and set up that whatever on that stand and go set that up and of course you know bands used to kind of take the piss out of these people but I really always thought it must be brilliant because that knowledge you know mics are just constant aren't they everyone loves their these particular old mics and we've got a 47 which I absolutely adore which we were really lucky to get hold of but um that knowledge remains kind of you know forever and it's not transient at all I've, I've always I always like that I like the 414 Probably purely because it was the first mic when I got a, when I kind of did the first pro studio. It was the first mic that we got a hold of that you could class as pro because everything then before then had been like fifty sevens and fifty eights. And I remember one night just kind of going because in your head you think you can sing. And yeah, I remember <laughs> my my piano teacher kind of going, you know, kind of humming these tunes. And she was always hideously out of tune. And uh, mm-hmm. I just thought one night, late one night, I kind of went, I'm gonna. I'll just go in and record myself with the full one four. And I came back and I was gobsmacked that it actually sounded somewhere half decent and I could hold a tune, which was kind of weird. So I've always got a soft spot for the four one four. They're very different though, aren't they? We did we used mm. some when we recorded that GX one, we used some to record speakers and they were very different sounding to my old four one four. Yeah, I think there's a there's a, there is a very wide range of them, definitely. Okay, um, right. Uh, I think we should probably. Uh, what time is it now? Oh, we're doing all right for time. Excellent. Um, but yeah, four one fours. They still make them. You know, that's the thing about them. And, uh, and but I think, you know, as I said, you can still find 
them around the place and there's also i know that uh, will from golf has got one but his was one that was they made a stereo one apparently and his is half of one of those so it has a <coughs> excuse me it has a, a specific sound to it and, and also you can buy like you say the same mic certainly when it comes to classic ones and some of them just don't sound so good it's just one of those things i'm sure there's probably some kind of specialist somewhere who can deal with it and make it sound all it can be <coughs> if you absolutely need to um Right, let's have a look. At, let's have a look at another topic. Um, no, I don't think I've got a, a, a web a web page. Yeah, this was literally. Uh, this is this is uh, uh, sort of triggered by an article that uh, Lagrange Audio, who I believe is in the chat room. Hi, Lagrange. Thanks for joining us. Uh, 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 it was talking about the kind of the whole experience of acquiring and getting into music now, how it's changed massively, and largely due to streaming, because there is no. There's, there's no sort of trans creative transaction that's sort of happening, and uh, I wonder whether or not there was a. a that was offset somehow by the fact that it's much easier to discover because obviously, you know, discovery um, at the time when we were buying albums and physical physical hard copy was very much down to whether or not you could be bothered to go into the record store and do all of those things. Whereas now we can have stuff coming at us. I mean, admittedly, not all of it's great at a sort of almost an, in an unlimited capacity. I mean, is there a great difference? I, I'll start with you, Corey, because... Uh, I could see that you're away from the camera, and I wanted to catch you out. No, oh, because <laughs> oh no, no, I was actually <laughs> no, it's all right. Because actually, on topic, when you were um, talking about albums, it brought up um, the fact that I had my brother and a, a lot of family here over the weekend, um, and it was a great time to see everybody. And you know, obviously, me being a hip hop producer, I have a turntable here and a, a, a whole gang of wax and vinyl in the back here, and some down here, and my brother who's uh, 14 years older than me, so, you know, he was a teenager in the 70s, and, and you know, I was such a little guy, but I would always remember him playing um, vinyl, and he would always, uh, uh, you know, the artwork. So that always stuck out to me, and I would always open up the art, and I would be kind of mesmerized by the artwork and looking at all this different stuff. And so he was here this weekend, and... I have a gang of soul albums and jazz and everything. And so he just told me to turn the stuff on and so he could play records. And he played records for hours and hours. It was very nostalgic. And then I started looking at the vinyl again, like, <laughs> you know, like we used to. And I was like, that's the missing piece there. I mean, we can, we can discover any and everything. We can um, get into a lot of new stuff that we haven't gotten into or that we maybe haven't heard of. But there's just something so special about, you know, pulling up a stack <laughs> or just pulling up anything, even if it's CDs. I mean, to, to Johnny Guitar Watson, something like that. This is like incredible music. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, Dave. <laughs> it's just incredible okay. music. And, and then to, to look at the artwork, this is stuff that you just don't get. That's a, that's you know, a really, that's the, that's a really interesting crazy. point. That's a really interesting point because, I mean, in many ways, album art and, and art associated with bands mm -hmm. was a very powerful vehicle for contemporary art and, and what is happening yeah. in the visual arts. And, that, and you don't get that aspect of it. There's no association there. And maybe that's the thing that's missing because in many ways, you know, like, for, I mean, we go back to, I mean, I wasn't really into this, but, you know, the, all of that stuff, the Yes covers, what was the name of that guy, artist who did all the sort of floaty kind of islands and stuff? That was... Roger Dean, you know, that was very kind of cutting edge at, for its time and got exposed to a much wider public because it was on these massive selling records. And I think that that link is broken. 
Maybe that's got something to do with it. I don't know what you think about it, Ty. I mean, because I guess you're well, working in the visual arts, so it's slightly, maybe there is still more of a connection because your music is underpinning cutting-edge imagery to a degree. It is. And, and so, I mean, kind of what I do is is obviously based all around the, you know, kind of the images. So there is that side to it that's, you know, my day-to-day existence is, you know, kind of relating visuals to music. Uh, regarding this, the whole streaming thing, I mean, it's, for me, it's, uh, you're talking to kind of, I don't know if it's the right person or the wrong person, because as Dave well knows, um, I have a, I, you know, I have an Amazon delivery almost every day of the week, a big CD collector, and I've, you know, got thousands and thousands and thousands of CDs, and uh, I still buy CDs, and I don't download the only time I download is if things are only available on download, then I'll obviously download. But if there's a CD available, I have to have the CD. And the idea of streaming for me, and, and the reason that I don't do downloads is exactly the, the, the physical, it's they having something in my hands that it, it, it belongs, I own this music, I, you know, and this music is mine. And then when you have downloads, I kind of own it. Do we kind of own this file that doesn't really mean a lot with no visuals so that's why i don't really like that but the idea of streaming for me is oh it's the work of the devil i can't even <laughs> you know i i absolutely absolutely not the only time i would ever use streaming is if i needed a reference point for when i'm working and someone said you know we really like this kind of track can you go and give it a listen i, I may then go that, to the streaming yeah. side i was yeah, gonna say that I that's something streaming. yeah and, but that would be the only thing. But it would be a case if I then if I then liked the music, I'd go, great, I'll now order the CD. So streaming for me is a complete and utter no-go, as downloading is much the same for me. So That's very interesting. I know, Dave, do you mm. think that, I mean, that, that whole notion of it, the, the disassociation of art and or artwork i mean i'm not saying it's not there but that it's much less much less prominent do you think that's perhaps why we're seeing much more extreme sound sculpting and really pushing the boundaries in terms of production like how loud you can have the bass drum and how in your face something can be because it's kind of almost psychologically making up for the the feeling that you get from the you know the picture that represents the artist or whatever yeah yeah it could be i mean it really could be i used to go into like I said a couple of weeks ago, I used to go to places like HMP. Uh, in fact, I had a there was an independent record store in Reading where I lived, and uh, I had a really good mate who worked in there. And that was always amazing because you could go in, you could spend as long as you want. They'd be playing stuff. You go, oh, who's this? And check it out. But I mean, I, honestly, I used to go into stores and buy stuff purely on spec. And if the album looked, if the artwork looked interesting or looked <laughs> like something I was kind of getting into at the time, I'd just pick it up and it would be in a stack of stuff. I don't do that anymore i thought what was really well there was a load of things that were fascinating about this article and i i think jason or lagrange writes really well uh but i like that idea of instead of having this static image in front of you while you're listening to whatever album you've you're streaming that you could have some kind of you know meaningful artwork i know there's been this big campaign about credits and stuff i have a real issue with i'm very conflicted over streaming I didn't do it. I refused to do it. I did. Well, I still do subscribe to iTunes. Uh, I downloaded tons of stuff off of there. I like the thought that that's actually sitting on a hard drive, uh, as opposed to in this. And it's not a cloud, people. It's not a cloud. It's just a server somewhere else. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so it's kind of it's really strange. But what really 
worries me is that, you know, it's gone. And now it's, I think I said to you in an email a few weeks ago, we now have far apps that are considered more valuable than a music track. And mm-hmm. I don't know how this industry is ever going to get back from free. I just don't, I can't work it out. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> that said, however, having resisted it for so long, when I got the Sonos stuff, which you know I love, they had a free years, uh, year or six months with Deezer, who I'd never heard of, so I went and had a look. First thing I looked at was artist royalties. Uh, and when it appeared that they at least paid something more than Spotify, I was kind of like, well, maybe I'll try that. But, and I do like that. And I do listen to that, and actually on the web, they do a kind of, oh, if you like this, then you can listen to this. You have to excuse me, I'm very naive on these things because I didn't do the Spotify thing. So this may be completely ubiquitous. But then I'll go and discover other bands, and then I'll go to their website, if possible, and buy the CD. Because, you know, for somebody in my position, it's really important to support the industry that sort of supports me. Yeah. It, it worries me. It kind of concerns me. But also, conversely, I think artists have to shoulder a, a share of the responsibility or the blame because there is this inherent desire to be liked. Yeah. And I yeah. think they're very susceptible to what Chris and I term as give me all your stuff for free, it will be good for you. Well, not only that, it's very easy. I mean, this I, 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 I totally understand. I mean, you know, we're streaming this at the moment and our content is, is free. But when you get to the situation where, you know, if I publish a review, like I've just published the JDXA part two, little plug there, review, um, I am always looking at the numbers on it because it, I think, well, you know, I might have played a little musical noodle in there or I felt particularly proud of a sequence I put in. And the numbers that those videos accrue are something that, that, that you're right, feeds that kind of need for an artist or any creative person to get some sort of ego feedback. It used to be tied to revenue and that's been disassociated and that that's what makes it difficult. So in many ways, artists are kind of almost have to get, they need therapy before they can get into the industry to sort of think, well, attention. actually, I, I, I'm more worth, I'm worth more than just the attention. Whereas the attention used yeah. to equate to money and now it's much harder to, to, to make those, draw those parallels. And that's, that's actually quite an interesting thought there. Attention has become a benchmark, which is very strange. I find that very, wow and even i do it you know i'll put up a track that i've done on youtube or something like that and occasionally i'll go over and have a look and people will be going you should give this up or it's very nice or whatever <laughs> we always like the ones that are encouraging yeah of course but yeah it's a very strange I, I like i say i don't understand i i can't see where it goes from free other than freer well, yeah, I suppose the thing is, is you know, you've got to take things like, uh, it's almost like a social, there needs to be some social engineering in the same way that, you know, certain countries have very effectively created the notion that it's not okay to drink and drive or, you know, things that are morally wrong. Yeah, yeah. Are, are legally acceptable in uh, have then become I mean obviously they're supported with law but there needs to be a sort of trend doesn't there in the way that it's sort of like no I, I don't I don't want to do that I don't think that's okay recycling or you know I mean it's almost has to come to that level where art, the art becomes more value because I mean yes you, you know you, we can't all be um, you know Tracy Emin or you too you know there, there are degrees in between but there seems to be very little degrees in between of actually making a living from that level of notoriety yeah it's very sad yeah, there's really. so much there's so much in it with the um i mean you, you got streaming you got lack of all the artwork you got lack of credits it's such a microwave society everything has to be now 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 quick 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 
how many likes can you get? But then there's a lot of substance missing. And um, I think it's reflected in the fact that sales for certain things have gone down dramatically. I, I don't really, I, I mean, yeah, it has a lot to do with the free thing, but I also think that, you know, where, where Dave says artists has to shoulder a little bit of responsibility too, because we're just not putting the amount of substance in the music anymore either. And that goes from whether it's kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit. I heard Chuck D from Public Enemy say once, and I, I paraphrase because I don't know exactly what he said, but he said something. As artists, you bear responsibility to experiment. If you have 10 tracks on an album, you bear responsibility to experiment with at least two of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And right. then you can you can cater to your audience with most of them and maybe do something that you better be responsible to your record label for it so to get a, a chart topper or something like that whatever the case but i just kind of think artists are not putting as much into it as we used to um and and then uh, the from the business side people are not getting as much development um and all of this stuff where you could take a, a album or two or a couple years or something to kind of build up to your first album and kind of get out in the clubs and perform and, yeah. and get in touch with people. Now we're just kind of doing, you know, what's behind the screens and we tap out a message here. It's all micro blogging. It's, it's a shoot a quick message. We don't tell anybody what went into making the music because maybe a lot didn't go into it. But I mean, it's a, it's a cyclical thing. It's it's interesting nonetheless. But I do miss, you know, back to the original, I do miss uh, not just the artwork, uh, but the credits. Um, I was looking at, a, at an Isley Brothers record. It's so incredible to be able to read the credits and see, oh, wow, they worked with this person. I didn't know that person worked with them. Or, you know, you always hear about the, 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 the Black Beetle. And, you know, that's Billy Preston. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was in the studio playing stuff with them, and and it became a joke. Oh, there's a black beetle, and I mean, you know, I know people will probably go crazy about you know a fifth beetle at all, but just the fact of the credits and the stuff that people did in the studio behind the scenes, it's just great to know that it's engaging. And what I miss from the streaming, because I do do streaming, but what I noticed is. Um, when I'm streaming music, when I discover music via stream, I'm less engaged, much less engaged. I'll play the album once or twice, and then I'm on to the next. It's like before breakfast can be served, I've already changed my mind to something else. Not that I didn't appreciate it, it's just there's something missing with that physicalness and that information and that art. Parliament Funkadelic, I can't think of the artist's name, but this guy was crazy with his ridiculous looking artwork that he would do for them and and i mean i, I love that whole thing with hip-hop there's always been the culture of it the rap the dj with the music the 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 b-boys with the break and the graffiti artists and that art and music and the marriage of that whole thing that's culture and so we're stripping all of that down now unfortunately um i think i, I, I totally yeah. don't know how to get back on that yeah sorry was that I, you Ty? Sorry, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think the problem is just the whole thing, it's, it's just cheap now. I think it's, the whole thing is cheapened. I mean, it's meant to be a culture. It's meant to be a music culture. And it mm -hmm. doesn't feel like a culture. It just feels like very, very cheap and nasty. And it was something that, for me, music was never that way. And, um, you know, I, I used to, exactly talking about the artwork and the credits, I, I was one of those people that used to sit there and just... As I used to start when, when I had no money whatsoever in the sales section of HMV and all the shops and I'd sit there CDs for one pound two pounds and just try and find any kind of link whether it be good artwork or I knew who the guitarist was or a producer and I'd buy that and then it turns into a, 
a web where you go, okay, they've worked with them, and then you check them out, and, and then you build this entire web of stuff. And that's how I kind of discovered all these, you know, kind of these these bands. And um, and it felt like you're on a, a little kind of adventure, even if it was your own adventure, to discover all these things. But that side of things just seems to have now just, you know, if someone's telling you what to, what you would like. Do you know what I mean? It's that. Yeah. Um, but that... to be fair, in terms of the cheapness side of things, it's no different in the TV industry, to be fair, in terms of doing things for next to nothing. Because a lot of people that are starting out writing for TV they're expected to essentially do the job for nothing. Right. It's not like the music has, is any worth to these people a lot of the time. And the argument is, well, we'll either use some library music, we'll just pay them a flat fee, uh, or we get someone to do it for nothing. And, um, and then they'll, they'll start claiming, oh, you get royalties, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, I mean, so I would hate to be starting out in that industry now because, you know, I've, you know, I've never done a job for nothing, and it should be that way. Music is a well; it should be your choice thing. rather than the choice Absolutely. of the client. Yeah, Absolutely. You spend you spend months and whatever of your life on a project, and hours and hours and hours and hours, and to to think that someone could then expect that to be free, and you know, I just I think it's awful. Yeah, no, I agree. It's interesting what you were saying about the idea of this kind of you creating a web and make those connections. Maybe, you know, um, with the new Apple's, Apple's music streaming service, you know, they famously hired a couple of quite big name radio DJs to sort of curate some of that live streaming stuff. And maybe they actually also recognise that that's missing because by having a, a, a personality, it used to be, you know, we used to have John Peel over here and those sort of things, that when there was a lot of music coming out um, on little labels that you would never get to hear... It's it sort of, in some way, trying to provide that little bit of glue and that bit. You know, maybe there is, you know, with, maybe without realising it, they're, they're actually trying, th- that gap is being plugged by having curators of music and what have you. Ma- I, 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 no, I, th- I, think, I think you're right. And it's the same as, you know, kind of I, I like about Amazon, the fact that they do recommend and iTunes. You know, I like the idea of the recommendations as a concept. That's fine. I think the kind of the slight issue I have with it is, it's awful to say in the good old days, but you know there was a time when you were doing that, and it felt special, well, therefore, and, because and you it's were not, finding. And things. it's nice not to be thinking that the recommendations are coming from some algorithm. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's it's nice that you were making those connections yeah. and you made the effort. And when you put in the effort, the music suddenly becomes more special to to you rather than. As you say, everyone else has got that same recommendation. Absolutely. So everyone else is going to be discovering the same stuff. And it doesn't become personal to you. Right. Well, uh, for... just in case we get too far down the grumpy old men of music industry kind of route. no I, 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 to- I totally concur with you and I think we've given this a, a great, a great it's, been, it's a really interesting topic but uh, and I also think that um, you know I want to say thank you to Lagrange for, uh, for sending in that blog in, ca- in fact if there's anyone out there who has a piece in them and they want to uh, send it in for consideration please go ahead just contact us via the site be very interested to hear your opinion because it's always nice to get opinion piece because again the reason is it's opinion. It's not an algorithmic basis. Dave, you look like you have something to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think to put it into some kind of perspective, I know that we all think our kind of youth were those kind of halcyon days and everything was great then and all the rest of it. And I don't think any of us here are Luddites by any stretch, but um, CR78 gifted me a book uh, about six months ago and I finally got time to read it on holiday and I would thoroughly recommend it to anybody who wants to learn about the entire history of the music industry, particularly publishing, 
and it's by guy it's Simon Napier Bell and it's that Tarara Bumdier and it's absolutely well worth the six quid or whatever it is on iTunes weirdly enough no um, Simon Napier didn't Simon Napier Bell manage Japan yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's a, he's one. In fact, I'm see, I've seen his name associated with the old school management term of Svengali, which was a sort of somebody who was but who was very much in control of the entire musical operation, artwork, connections, the production, everything. Right. It's incredibly well written, and it just starts right at the beginning, and then just goes right the way through. You know, the advent of vinyl, and then all the way through, and the publishing stuff. It's just amazing. I mean. All right. Well, that sounds really interesting. And also, if you're interested in, uh, there's a brilliant BBC series called The Sound of Song, which is uh, about the technology of music recording. I think I've spoken about it before, but I, I happen to see it on repeat on BBC Four in the UK. I don't know if you can get that internationally, but it's absolutely brilliant. It it it, it goes from the sort of the way that uh, uh, um, Edison shaped the beginnings of the music industry right through to synthesizers and everything else. Anyway, I should probably uh, now. Um, have a message from our sponsors which will be followed by the competition and then when i press this button it always takes ages to get going even though i test it before the show it's really aggravating come on ah there we are isotope trash 2 we want to say thank you very much to sponsoring for isotope for sponsoring the show. trash 2 of course allows you to distort audio in ways you never dreamed of with the trash module 60 plus distortion algorithms effects for and perfect for transforming transforming your sounds into something you've never before heard you can design your own unique distortions from massive to mild with everything in between let your tracks inhabit any space or object with a new convolve module you can find a new voice make your audio speak and growl with two redesigned filter modules each one featuring a new valve formant filters for screaming peaks node modulations and more start trashing your audio immediately with this extensive new preset library and an ear-friendly limiter that ensures that you don't blow anything up uh, as with all of isotope stuff uh, there's a lot of great tutorial information on how to use this incredibly deep uh, plugin and also uh, a free 10-day demo isotope.com forward slash trash is the place that you're going to be able to find that so do download it and once again we thank them very much for their sponsorship of the show and of course as with uh, previous weeks last week we asked you to uh, tweet out uh, let me see what was it it was uh, uh, mash or mashup audio and trash 2 to isotope inc and sonic state and uh, we have a winner in the form of tim prun prunchik I, I hope I've spelled that right. I'll, I'll, his Twitter handle is Temporal Mix at Temporal Mix. He uh, he apparently I want to, I want trash two on my tracks. So actually now your wish is my command. The Isotope Fairy will give you trash two in your inbox. All you got to do is contact us with your email address, and we'll forward it to the Isotope people, and they will make it so. So thank you very much uh, for entering. And also we do have a competition this week. Uh, once again, Isotope Trash Two is being given away. We need you to uh, tweet out the hashtags shapeshifting and trash two to once again to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. So that's hashtag shapeshifting and the hashtag trash2 via Twitter to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Uh, we'll randomly pick a winner from the resulting entries. So once again, we thank Isotope for their sponsor of the show. It's uh, very much appreciated. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Right. Uh, oh, this this was uh, something that's... This is, again, is, is kind of... This is another really interesting thing. I Well, I think it is anyway. So this is... Um, this has been doing the rounds recently, and it's a fantastic 3D uh, rendering of uh, a new Volker image. <clears throat> uh, 
which is uh, at the Volca Mix. And it was it first showed up on uh, Create Digital Music, where I think it came up via the Facebook group uh, Volca Chat, uh, or Volca Series, I think it is. It's an unofficial group. And there's a guy there called uh, Johannes, sorry, Christopher Johannes, Chris Johannes, who is basically a fabulous 3D artist. He's rendered this up in uh, 3D Studio. And it's the notion of this kind of micro mixer with built-in effects bussing and a chaos pad for additional kind of... Uh, uh, modulation and stuff and it just looks like a really cool thing um there's also in fact i might be able to let me see if i can find this there was another um uh, i don't think i've got it anymore i was going to say there was another um image that he's done of a sort of step sequencer uh for volker stuff and i just wonder whether any of this sort of thing makes sense I mean, a it sounds like a great idea i don't know cory if you've had a chance to play with any of the volker stuff there are elements missing and there are things that would be... I mean, this looks like one and it's got a lot of interest. So it might make sense for, for Korg to consider building something, if indeed they aren't already. Actually, i, I got to be honest, I haven't played with much of the vocal stuff, not for any long, like in a, in a music store or anything. Um, but, you know, I have a... The, the one thing I didn't like was the little twiddly knobs. And, yeah. you know, I have big fingers so it just kind of makes for a, a weird experience for me but i have seen people do some pretty cool stuff with it I, lo I love the modding and stuff that people are doing with them and i could see a vocal mix being a pretty good deal a pretty good thing to go into that whole vocal series of things that people are doing um so i hope it's real uh, but it's i don't know having a chaos pad built in makes me think i'd be surprised if they did that because um you know that would push the price up and they already have little small chaos pads that you can get so it'll be, it'll yeah. be interesting to see if this is real maybe so i don't know uh, uh ty whether you whether the, any of the volker series has a little niche somewhere in your studio uh whether it does, it's, uh, it does. oh i'm so key, glad to I've hear got, that i've got a keys and a bass and uh no they, they they're great for what they are they you know everything has its place and everything has a sound and and mm -hmm. they both you know they they do they do what they do quite well and there are times when you need that thing that they have and so no i'm i'm not against that kind of stuff at all no the vulcans are good especially the keys like I, you know the keys i quite like and um i hope they i hope they do make it i hope they are making it because i think it's a great idea i really do and i think i think having the chaos pad in it would be would be a really really good move i mean oh, i've got a chaos nice. pad and i i use the chaos pad a lot and um, ah, okay i guess for picture so, it makes sense i mean I, it reminds me of those days when uh i can't remember what the name of the sound well, the the, the uh, plugins used to be but they were designed very much for sort of gestural control of effects and things back in the day i've forgotten the name of them now so it, it very much fits in with that notion yeah no anything with a kind of i'm very much into uh you know kind of touch pads and and joystick movement and you know, I'm a big fan of, there's a neuron back there, which was all based around that whole, the kind of movement side of things, being able to record all the um, movements that trigger, you know, kind of the playback. So, you know, for me, Chaos Pads is a, you know, it's a, it's fantastic. And so, so yes, please. Just some more um, more examples of it. That is, uh, again, the 3D Studio render. I'm guessing you must have dropped that into the photo. But, I mean, that is truly skillful bit of uh, 3d modeling it? isn't it that is really awesome very and then he, I, I spotted this the other day as well he's also done this which is a kind of he calls it what's it a volker fs1 which looks like a step a sequence of step filter of some kind it's got cut off and peak on every single step a midi in and out also that uh, they just look like they're real to me and it's just a great idea i know dave do you I think have... sorry go 
No, I was going to say, I have to ask the question, because so many times you see these amazing 3D rendering of these fantastic stuff. And so much, so much of the time I'm there thinking, why, why, <laughs> why? <You know? laughs> because it, the amount of time and effort it takes to make these look so amazing. Well, I, w- I, I wouldn't be. I, I wouldn't. I, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not going to get a bit of work out of it. Because I was thinking, well, you know, that's Fair actually enough. quite a good idea to kind of fart a mock-up of something. Then I might go to him because I'd remember that was really quite astonishing. Dave, yeah, do you th- good do you think any of this stuff actually is likely to influence the manufacturers? I mean, have you ever been in a situation where people have sort of mocked up, I don't know, gooey ideas or uh, I don't know something along those lines that has made you think, actually, yeah, that that that's not a bad idea. Let's let's see if we can do something with that. Uh, perhaps certain parts of a GUI, but yeah, not the whole thing. Uh, no, I don't think that's really happened to us. I think it's funny because when I first saw this, obviously I looked at the comments and it seems like it's not real, but once I've kind of looked at it, it it almost harks back to what Ty was saying about all of us kind of geeking out over these credits in that what you need is somebody who's completely immersed in this scene with the Volkers and all the rest of it and taking this stuff out live in order to find a solution to an issue that they're having using all of these things in a particular context. And that's what I was, my first thought was, oh, this is obviously somebody who's completely immersed in this scene, closely followed by, actually, they should give him a job. If they're not <laughs> making this thing, they should just go, you know what, come in here. I heard that that was a very similar thing with the original Chaos Pad, I th- I'm pretty sure it ah. was. It was an idea of somebody who worked in the company and they kind of went, right, you're promoted, you're now in R&D, which I mm. think is a great idea. Yeah, I think I, I noticed a handle, I don't know if he's still there, uh, some custom synth who I think might be the custom synth who did, uh, who does those amazing hardware kind of customizations and taking other things and putting them into new controllers and I know was involved in the Imposca controller and all of those things and so that you know those people who have the ability to create these very realistic because I mean a lot of I suppose a lot of it's down to capturing the imagination and if you can sort of show somebody a finished product this is what I want it to be then that that, that part of it they can go yeah that's great then that's almost one whole part of the design process that they don't have to think about so much. They just worry about the electronics. So maybe there is an aspect to that. that we, uh, sorry, when we did the Fat Boy all those million years ago, this will show you how far things have come with computers and stuff like that. Chris said to me, uh, we kind of done this, there was a mock-up in a Maplin's box and the guy who was making it was like, okay, so this is just rough. What would you like it to look like? And at the time I was using the TD10 V drums. So I went, I want it to look like that. That's why that angled front and the nice curvy back and stuff like that. So uh, we basically, uh, I took a picture of it, which was on the worst low-res digital camera ever, and then printed the picture out and put that in a photocopier and then faxed that (laughs) (laughs) to the guy who made it. And it just looked like this kind of black blob. That was it. (laughs) <laughs> and that's what you ended up with. I just like to say in the chat in the chat room, uh, Sonic One Two Seven Six said uh, they got a job with Sandcraft on the back of a mocked up MPC style controller he made. So I mean, there is you know I, I you guess go. in in answer yeah it's a tie that that's that's what comes out of it because I mean it's t- it, if you're interested in designing industrial interface design for the musical inst- instrument sector then bang there's a kind of that, you're going straight to the fantastic. target aren't you I suppose that's absolutely yeah. you know that is amazing. Um, okay, right. Um, so, Volgamix. Uh, right, now, this is another thing, and I wanted to get your uh, thoughts on this, uh, Corey, as well. So, 
the we talked about this before. This is uh, native like instrument audio, stems audio are now like here. Wave, they are, example. you know, we talked about the announcement DJs of them. Now they're actually released. The stems format lets music producers split their tracks into four individual musical elements, so that DJs can control each element independently. For example, you can play the drums from one track with the bassline of another. Or layer percussion parts from different tracks into new grooves. Or have instant acapellas and instrumental versions of your track. So we're kind of aware of the concept of stems. I mean, obviously, if in terms of DJs, it, it makes a certain amount of sense because it means that certain things are limited to four channel four tracks i don't know if that's eight channels at the moment because that looked like mono represented i think there were four stereo tracks when i saw before and the, they're going to be releasing the tool for creating the stems fairly soon it doesn't look like it's anything too different I mean, it looks like it's basically just a wrapper but it seems to be getting a, quite a lot of traction i mean noticed um if you go to the web there's a stems-music.com which is the new uh kind of microsite for it uh there are links to uh, beatport where they already have a whole bunch of stems available and you know this is just the featured ones so they've obviously been doing a lot of work behind the scenes to get these things into the stores ready for the big launch and I know at the time we were sort of not sure. I mean, I know it's very easy to kind of poo-poo just the, the, the DJ aspect of it, but there are obviously quite a lot of other aspects too. I know, Corey, do you think this is something that's going to... Uh, is there excitement in the kind of uh, rap, uh, R&B and hip-hop kind of side of things for this to happen? I guess it's going to make combining and mashups a lot easier, right? Yeah, I think it's going to be big, especially with, I mean, not only for the DJs, but for producers and performers that go and use Ableton and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we're already kind of seeing it with, uh, I mean, I do a lot of reviews on sample packs and different things like that. And, and what some of the really good guys that are doing that stuff include are stems. Um, so the stems will come up, uh, well, you'll, you'll buy, say like a breakbeat, uh, kit. And obviously those are made from some guys commissioning a drummer and going into a studio and micing things in a really classic way and uh, getting it going. But they're starting to sell those with the sample packs and people are using the stems to do other things. So, I mean, I think that's huge, especially in the way we perform and and, and all the mashup sense. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. It's And it kind of brings a new element to, to, to the live music thing and being able to do uh, new types of music and and just stuff that maybe you wouldn't think of otherwise. So it's yeah, kind of cool. I and I guess I guess in, I guess in many ways also you know because I mean traditionally when you do finish mixes you have to do mixes with and without things and what have you. I guess you could just do the whole thing and then you you just switch off the vocals for the TV version mm-hmm. for your playback or whatever. I know I, I'm guessing Ty. You know when you present the music to TV companies, you're probably having to send them multiple layers, right? So they can rebalance, or do you try and I give them? That. A lot of the time, it's kind of a combination of both, really. You, you tend to send stems, uh, and you'll often just send a, a stereo mix as well. And, um, I mean, personally, or surround mix, or, or whatever, rather than just stems. It works both ways. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, stems as a concept is, you know, something that we've been doing in TV for for years. The idea of sending it down as one, one file, fair enough, it's only four tracks, but... That in itself, it's a great idea. I mean, it really is great because at the moment, you know, for those four tracks, we're having to send four files all time aligned. And um, so to just send it as one file is going to make our life, life four times easier. <laughs> yeah. Really. Yeah, I suppose um, so. If they're stereo, if they're stereo, that's the thing. I'm not sure if I- they are stereo. 
I think they must be because you wouldn't have a vocal track and effects in mono, even you know, even no, you wouldn't imagine even a DJ wouldn't put up with that sort of limitation. (laughs) Even (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, Dave. Uh, I mean, the thing that's interesting about this also is I noticed there's probably twenty and thirty percent markup on a stems version of a track. So in terms of you know, you've got all these multifacets things. You know, the fact that we've got essentially a new format for selling actual music, as well as maybe delivering, as well as performing, as well as you know, there's many aspects to this that actually could be pretty useful when when it takes hold. It, and the one thing I did notice is in the beginning of that, it says an open format. So I'm thinking that you know, native instruments are. I, well, I'm guessing that native instruments aren't kind of tying this to only their technology. So it means if it's widely adopted, then this thing could be really useful in terms, you know, being incorporated into DAWs. You could have a stemmed track. You can have all sorts of things that maybe you could uh, you could bring into play. For me, uh, very similar to Ty actually, but obs- uh, but not musical, but more uh, sound design stuff. I'll always supply stems of the stereo all the surround and the individual parts because if the executive because nine times out of ten I'm working for an artist who will be credited as the executive producer so ultimately the decision will be his as to you know I'll when I'm doing sound design stuff it'll be made up of component parts and I'll render those tracks out and kind of go okay so this is how I think it sounds and then they'll put it in the context of the movie and go that sounds crap I'm <laughs> yeah. never using you again you- or actually we can <laughs> yeah. rebalance this can we just use the left-hand side of stem one, please? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I love the idea of this just being in one one thing and me going, right, okay, here's how I think it's a sham, and here's the other stuff. If you want to change it, you go ahead and change it. Makes makes real sense to me. Yeah, well, and the other thing um, in, in this, it, it, they're already uh, having support for it in Tractor, and there are Tractor Control S8, D1, and F1 are stems ready. Uh, I'm guessing, you know, if it's just a question of MIDI control of these tracks, I mean, back in the day, you used to be able to do QuickTime movies with multiple audio files that you could then control programmatically. So it's it, it's not much of a quantum leap to be able to take it forward from there. I can see it being really valuable in everything we talked about. But so we've all acquired these multi-track versions of classic tracks. And... But have any of us actually done anything with them other than listen to maybe a few things in isolation and gone, oh, that sounds great. I mean, when they did that Marvin Gaye thing, I was like, wow, you know, he, lied, he used to lie down and sing and he's still... In fact, I put his line in Melodyne just to see kind of how far out he was, try and analyse it that way. But I never did anything creative at all with any of it. So I kind of wonder, you know, particularly when you're saying that stem uh, tracks with the stems have a slightly higher markup. I wonder who other than DJs is going to sit there and go, actually, I'm going to change this track. We all wanted to years and years ago. It was like, oh, I really want this. But I wonder how many of us actually do. Yeah, I suppose that's a fair point. I mean, the other thing is obviously with the limitation of four tracks, I was thinking about this. I mean, surely what you could do is if you've got, you know, if you're working with a DJ software, you've got two decks effectively. Why not have the same track across with different sets of stems, just synced, tempo synced that you could then you know, just then you get track eight, eight, track eight, control of eight stems or 16 if you've got, you know, whatever, depending on how many decks you've got lined up. So there might be kind of, there might be other aspects to it. But I, I think, I think the thing is, is almost, it's almost in the same way as, you know, the way that uh, we went from vinyl to CD, there was a perception of the, it's the new file format and it had a price premium. I wonder whether or not there might be, even though you might not ever listen to it in, a, in non-stems format, you know, you might not adjust it. Mm-hmm. The fact that then, 
people will buy the slightly more expensive version just because more is better somehow. Do you know what I mean? There might it might actually at least increase some sort of revenue, and, and that's not a bad thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, right, I think there might be time for just one more topic, uh, which is, uh, this is lovely. This is a video by a chap called Special Head, who does a lot of uh, videos. This is the Weird World Wolverton. The Anarchestra is a set of like a hundred instruments made by this uh, mad guy, Alex Ferris. Individual invents a new musical instrument. But there is one man who has invented hundreds of them. His name is Andy Thurlow. Oh, Andy Thurlow. Oh, there we go. Not Alex Ferris. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Each instrument is a one-of-a-kind handmade creation. Some of them mimic instruments we are all familiar with. Bastard. There you go. You like that one, Dave? And some look completely out of this world. Some sound out of this world. Or you can play the spring. I just think this is awesome. This is an, an orchestra. This is uh, basically it's a group of a hundred instruments that generally get installed in places. That I think they're all tuned to the key of. A minor, so you can basically just put them all in a space and have people wig out on them and play things. But they they all look sort of fairly metallic. But uh, he made he said he made these things because after a lifetime of music, I got really tired of everything sounding the same, which is just a fantastic what a fantastic <laughs> reason for doing something. I, I know quite quite often in the past we've done sort of you know single instruments where we go oh that's interesting, but this guy's made so many of them. It just seems like such a brilliant idea. I mean, there's a sample library right there. Don't you think? I don't know. Are you tired? I mean, obviously, I can see you've got a massive collection of synthesizers, but you also say you work in the box orchestra, that sort of thing. Are you one of those people that's sort of always looking for new sounds? Because that's the sort of thing that Const- makes you stand. Yeah. Yeah. Constantly. Constantly. All the way. And um, this for me is, is heaven. That's, that's fantastic because all of that kind of metallic stuff, you can do a huge amount with, huge amount with, and um, with visuals and things. And, uh, there's a uh, is it um uh, for the best service on the engine uh, there's an engine library called Klanghouse, which is very similar to this it's some german guy i think that makes these all very percussive one off instruments very metallic and there's a so there's already a library out there but i mean this takes me back to when i was at university um we had something called the contemporary music festival and there was there was this performance by these guys that had made you know a huge kind of um installation with all metallic stuff and and i remember this was my first year so we're talking almost 30 years ago and uh, you could buy a vinyl album of their performances i used performances in inverted commas it was um it was interesting but i remember just buying the vinyl with no other intention just get it home and just sit there going through sampling just you know individual sounds and putting them across the keyboard and through the wonders of 8-bit and maybe later 12-bit, I created my own library, which is essentially these kind of sounds, you know, right. and I had those, you know, so there are, that idea for a library is incredible, but add the instruments as themselves, I just think they sound amazing. They sound amazing. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, in the chat room, actually, um, 
where am I looking for? Uh, oh, it went past now. Sorry. Uh, Goche, yeah. Uh, Gravity Feeder says Goche with that, you know, massive smash did the fence playing thing. There, there was quite a lot of kind of found sound and instruments in, in that hit. So there is a place for it. And also part of the reason perhaps that, I mean, apart from the fact it was an absolutely brilliant song and vocal performances from the two singers, that the fact that there were sounds in there that were a bit unusual kind of made a difference. But And it wasn't sort of completely squished electro nonsense. So, I mean, yeah. you, you know, Corey, you're always looking at sample packs and that sort of thing. Is there an appetite for this sort of thing with within R and B and hip hop, or is it a bit too far out there? I think I think with guys that are yeah, for some it's just too far out there. But I think a lot of guys are getting more into um, just more experimental sound, and these are some of the guys that are now starting to venture into um, the modular world and bring that into hip hop and you know maybe r and b but urban music nonetheless and and I know some some guys who there's um uh, flux three o two he did a a really nice uh sound sample pack where he took a year and he was going to all sorts of junkyards and and construction yards and he would sample any and everything that clang bang the pop <laughs> you know what i mean and yeah he created a really cool uh uh sample library so i think there is an appetite for that stuff out there and I, but it's it's more for the guys that want to be a little more abstract and they want to incorporate a little different sound into what they're already doing that maybe just kind of want to go they off course a little bit but still kind of be in there in that genre, I totally think this guy. He should a bunch of people should be calling him up. Native Instruments or somebody should be calling him up to do a sample pack. They it would probably get eaten alive out there. They would yeah, love I bet. Yeah. I'll bet. I know, Dave. It, I think this is the sort of thing. It's like sort of Diego Stocco's work, isn't it? But but kind of in metal and by a a, a, a fairly out there looking hippie guy. Yeah, but it was really articulate. And, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, it was. It was. Yeah, I, I, I like them as pieces of sculpture. Actually, even beside the noise, it's funny how certain things can bring back memories. And for example, when I first saw this, I just remembered this fantastic joke about you know my neighbour woke me up at two thirty in the morning, hammering on my door for God's sake, how inconsiderate, bit of luck. Uh, I was practicing my. I was up practicing my drums. <laughs> And I kind of thought, yeah, 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 because imagine living next door to this guy. It'd be really funny. And then I started thinking, well, him and Diego living next door to each other would be really entertaining. Just be like hammering and setting light to stuff and hammering and setting light to more stuff. But I, no, I really like this. He had a really, I love that idea about, I've heard, you know, after a career, after a lifetime in music, all this stuff I'd heard and I wanted, wanted something different. I love that idea and when I've been working with certain people, I think I've said before, we had, there's a rule in that you don't, if somebody ever starts to play something, you never go, oh, that sounds like Hendrix or that sounds like so-and-so because immediately you've kind of categorised it and you've put it in a compartment and you've stifled that person's creativity. Guilt. And what I'm we guilty. also like doing during that thing was bringing young people into it who don't have, who don't have those kind of reference points. And I've always referred to it as, you know, they don't have that baggage, which I've always felt slightly uncomfortable with because it's not really baggage. And when he, he, he said it was uh, it was the burden of expectation, wasn't it? When, And I thought that's such a brilliant phrase. When he introduced musicians to it, they played it, particularly as it's all tuned to A minor. And A minor is such a perfect key, isn't it? Because it's a bit doomy, a bit depressing. <laughs> and, uh, and yet they adapted to it without this burden of expectation. I thought that was brilliant. 
Yeah, no, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I know um, that uh, Eno's a big fan of uh, getting people in and and not tell and not you know not letting letting them listen to the track that they're about to work on, for instance, and just go right. One, it's in this. T- it's 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 you know here's the tempo, here's the click. Might tell you what key it's in. Go, so that you get that well. completely unfettered kind of thinking on your feet sort of straight from your core brain kind of thing, which as a, as a session person must be absolutely terrified. Imagine you get a call, well, come and play for me. And you think, oh, yeah, I better, I better swat up, better kind of get prepared. And it's like, that's actually the last thing he actually wants is for you to be prepared. You must be completely unprepared. That's the point, you know, just instinctive. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a really yeah. interesting idea. Uh, I and think I say the last... I, sorry. I think, I think with the last um, couple of David Sylvan albums, I don't even think they had the key or the tempo, I don't think. Really? That Zappa, was it? Yeah, was it? Zappa was, was it the same. same? Yeah, uh, Zappa and the last. Yeah, I know. Just I know. Go. Yeah, and the last, definitely on the last one, there was. Uh, yeah, I don't think there was any click, any key, any anything. They weren't allowed to. I think. Uh, so how would you do to, that? Then, to be fair, just... it does sound. Like, it does sound like it on occasion. <laughs> but, um, but that's fine. You know, I'm a big David Sylvian fan, and I'll I'll be there to the end. But he's. You know, it's difficult sometimes, but you know, I can imagine. <laughs> I, I did. I did try and find out if there was a place where you could go and visit this and kind of be involved, but there was no information on the website that I could find. Uh, I did find the website. The website is uh, anarchestra dot wordpress dot com, and he's got. Um, you know, it does seem to get updated reasonably regularly, so maybe there'll be news of when it's going to be there. And there's obviously there's music and stuff that you can get made on these things. And so I think you know, it, as a as a music with hundred instruments, I mean that is more than most of us have at our disposal, apart from probably you and Dave. Uh, um, time. Um, so you know, in in many ways, that's that's more than enough, right? If you've got all the frequencies covered, right? <laughs> Oh, only a hundred. <laughs> only a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but after all, yeah, that he talk- made those. He made those. Yeah, yeah uh, that's the big difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, how do you come up with one hundred different, you know, original ideas? That's a that's a challenge in itself. Yeah, exactly. Never mind making them; it's just having the ideas for them. It's, it's incredible, it really is. Yeah. But as Dave said, they look amazing. You know, to be fair. I'd happily have any of those in my garden as a piece of sculpture because they, they just look incredible. Yeah. Funny um, what Corey was saying about uh, people like Native Instruments approaching them. Uh, there is um, there's somebody actually not far from you, Nick, who makes these amazing audio sculptures who I've been to see on numerous ago. When we were doing Iris, I was like, oh, I'd be really cool if you contribute because actually there's an entire story of the sculpture and the sound and uh, mm-hmm. it works with, a lot with spherical objects and there's a reason for that. It's a kind of cosmic... He's not the easiest person to get along with, but he's really, really talented. But I've, I've never, ever, I think I've told like two people his name because the real paranoia is, of course, once it's out there. As much as I love his work, once it's out there, he's just going to be mm-hmm. approached by all sorts. And I actually said this to him at one point, you know, obviously if you did this and obviously you get paid for it and whatnot, but obviously if you did this, then you're going to start getting phone calls because actually I could see you kind of becoming the UK version of Diego Stocker and he's just like I, I don't want that that's not what I do this for I don't want any of that I was like okay 
That's so, inter- yeah, it's interesting, interesting, isn't it? The ad, to, especially what we were talking about, how we're uh, as as creative and artists, we're always looking for approval and our likes and our and our YouTube counts, and that uh, and that's completely the opposite of that guy. Well, yeah. fair yeah. fair play to him, fair play to him. Yeah. Um, definitely, that's pretty cool, actually, because he does it just for the love of the art, and he loves what he does. That's that's pretty cool and admirable, actually. Yeah, yeah. One particular sculpture where uh, there's certain things that are tuned, and it's and it's just this beautiful sound. And we said to him, uh, "So, you know, how long did it take you to tune it?" It's all to do with the environment as well, and the acoustics within the environment. And, it's, and he said, "Oh, I didn't tune it. I had to get somebody in to do that because I don't know anything about tuning." Oh. Wow, that's such an amazing, so removed from everything in our world. Yeah, well, I mean, and also the ability to hit and bang things, you know, you have a very different uh, reaction with things that f- physically make noise. Um, so, so I've just been handed um, a piece of paper with the term, the Batchet Brothers who make musical sculptures. I think that went by in the chat room as well, so I will check their stuff out, but uh, I think that's well worth checking out too. Um, I think uh, we are probably approaching the final curtain, as it were, uh, to the end of things. I, I do want to point, before I go, uh, tomorrow we're having a Sonic Talk special at 4pm 4, uh, 4 where I'm talking to Pete Brown from Microsoft. As we know, Windows 10 has just come out and there are aspects to the uh, audio and MIDI APIs and the core technology behind that uh, that will be very different from previous versions of Windows. And he's going to come on the show and kind of explain a bit about it and do some Q&A stuff. So I'm hoping if we can make the stream and everything all happen and get his technology sorted out, I'm sure. I mean, we're going to use Skype. Microsoft Microsoft own Skype. What could possibly go wrong? Um, that that uh, that you, if you want to hang out there and join us and and listen to what he's got to say and perhaps uh, fire a question or two, please do join us then as well. Uh, I should have said this at the beginning of the show because not everybody makes it right through to the end of an hour and thirty minutes of uh, of musical chit chat. But do join us tomorrow for that as well. Um, that's going to be a little Sonic Talk special. Um, it's time to wrap up. Uh, I will say thanks again to Isotope. I should actually say we'll just just quickly run the competition details again. If you want to win Isotope Trash, uh, the hashtag Shapeshifting and the hashtag Trash2 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. will enter you into the competition. We'll announce that next week. Uh, so please do join us. In the meantime, I'm going to say goodbye to our guests. Uh, Ty, it's been a great pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. No, it's always good to, get, good to get flesh blood. I'm, I'm like a kind of uh, um, vampirical chat host that needs fresh blood from time to time. And you've satiated my desire. I, I, I'm only assuming you're probably not a virgin. So it doesn't have exactly the perfect, uh, the perfect <laughs> spiritual need so- I might Sorry, <laughs> I feel bad now. <laughs> I feel like I've let you down. That's all right. I, I, I usually put it in the show notes to uh, new new attendees. They usually get to the top of the list. But anyway, Ty, thank you very much. It'd be great to have no, you on again you. at some point. I'm sure you've got a lot more to say that we'd love to hear as well. And um, well, and also say thank you to Dave Spears uh, for suggesting Ty. I know that uh, Robbie Bronneman also uh, mentioned him, and I've just been very unproactive about doing it. And thanks to you, you were. So that's great. Thank you very much, Dave Spears, of course, GeForceSoftware.com for all your uh, virtual instruments needs. And, of course, Corey Banks, who, as again, we haven't had for a little while, and we now had two in a row, which is fantastic. You're always welcome. Uh, do check out what Corey's got on uh, bboytechreport.com. You're on Facebook and Twitter and all those places, right? Yep. Um, everywhere, all the social networks, or most of the popular ones, and as Bboy Tech Report, 
Um, so yeah, it's always a pleasure coming on and two in a row. I'm, I'm batting a thousand over here. Uh, good talking to you again, Dave, and good to meet you, Ty. Uh, it's always good Great talking music with, with, with guys like me. So very cool. Great. Well, oh, yeah. thank you very much, everybody. That was Sonic Talk 414, um, uh, which was dedicated to the AKG 414 microphone, just because it's been around since, I think it's 1957. Imagine that. That's almost as long as Sonic Talk itself. Right, that's <laughs> it for uh, 414. That's it for this week. Uh, I'm going to now fade to black, and we'll see you all next time. Or oh, yellow, even. <laughs>